So today's reading is going to be from James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are of the, of the dispersion greeting, counting it all joy, my brethren, when ye fall into manifold temptations, knowing that the proving of your faith worketh patience, and let the patience have its, its perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, and entire, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth, all, giveth to all liber, liberally and unbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in the faith, nothing doubting, for he, doubteth, for he that doubteth is like the surge of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let the brother of low degree glory, glory in his high estate, and the rich in that he is made low. Because, because as the flowers of the grass he shall pass away, for the sun ariseth with a scorching wind, and withereth in the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. For also shall the rich man fade away in his goings. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for he hath been proven, he hath been approved. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to them that love him. Let no man say that when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempteth no man. But each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then the lust, when it has conceived, bears sins, and the sin, when it is fully grown, bringeth forth death. Be not deceived, my, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, with whom can, can be no variation, neither shadow that is cast by its turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of, of truth, that we should that we should be of a kind of, of first fruit of his creation. Yet know this, my beloved brethren, but let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deluding your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth away, and straight, straightway forget what, he, what manner of man he was. But he that looketh in the perfect law of liberty, and so continueth, be not a hearer that, be not a hearer that, that foregoeth, but a doer that worketh this man shall be blessed in his doing." And if any man thinketh himself righteous or religious, while he, while he bridleth not his tongue, but receives in his heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before our God and our Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself spot, unspotted from the world. I am honored to be able to stand before you and, and to uh, deliver what I believe at this time is a message that from God. Uh, 
Ben's not here, and so again, my name is Patrick. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Radiant, and our hearts are is discipleship. And so I have been, for the last six weeks, discipling 14 to 16-year-old kids at camp. So my wife and I and our family were at Camp Lyla, and so I was able to be able uh, to teach these kids through the book of James. And so we take a two-week uh, gap, and we do the whole book in two weeks, and then the next kids come in, and I get to do it again, and then two weeks, I get to do it again. And so we're in our last week of camp, and so we have been blessed to be full. Uh, God is working. God is working. We've seen um, a little over 50 kids, I believe, give their life to Christ. And so that is phenomenal. That is phenomenal that, that God is still working. And, and I always tell people, down south, I'm like, you know, we're a little camp on top of the world and where it's cold and, and dark and everything, but God is still moving in a mighty way. And so I am very blessed to be able to be a part of that. Uh, that program is called SALT and it stands for uh, Servant and Leadership Training. So a little bit about that is uh, I take these kids and I have two counselors and we have six boys, six girls, and we teach them uh, not only biblical truths and the gospel of who Jesus Christ is, we get to train them in servanthood. So what servanthood looks like is we get to do all the dishes, clean all the toilets, pick up all the trash, and then we do uh, various work uh, things that are going around camp, and they really enjoy it. I mean, honestly, when I take the trash to the dump, I have boys begging me to go. They're like, can we go, can we go, can we go? Now, on a side note, the reason that they're begging me is because I always take them to the sourdough and buy them a drink. And so, you know, so every time they're, I'm going through the field, they're like, take me, take me. But, uh, you know, I just want to show them gratitude of, of, of how they're pouring their life out. Because most of these kids are taking their whole summer uh, and they're giving it to us. And they're, they're learning uh, at this age what it is to be a servant for Christ and what it is to be able to go into a cabin at a later age and be able to give the gospel. And that is the most important part at Camp Iowa is to give the gospel to these little kids. We start at six and go all the way up to teenagers. But our heart and their hearts are Jesus Christ. And it's remarkable to me, as you can tell, I'm from the South, and so uh, it doesn't take you very long to see that uh, you guys all have uh, an accent, and I don't. And so uh, what we do is we just, you know, we're pouring into these kids, and, and they love it. But I've never seen a place, being from the South, where kids don't know what a Bible is. They don't know who Jesus is. They, they, they've never heard of God and they don't know what church means. And so to me, that's foreign. And so I tell people uh, when we visit back uh, where we're from that, you know, missionaries are always going to a foreign land. We're in a foreign land here. There is people here that have never heard of Christ. Their families have never went to church. They've never taken their kids or, or anything. So we are here to pour into kids, and uh, we love it. Uh, this is our fifth year, and we just enjoy it so much. So uh, enough about that. I want to get into the Word. And so when Ben uh, told me that he needed some time off to go on a trip, he asked me, he said, can you continue our Matthew study? And I said, well, I will. And uh, I read the passage, and as I was going through uh, James, I just I called him up and I said, Ben, I just feel like we got to put Matthew off a week. 
And he says, why? I said, because I said, God is really stirring something in my heart. In the book of James, the first chapter, I said, I got to get it out. I said, I've been getting it out with these kids, and, and they're like, they're hearing it all, all the time. But I said, I really think the church needs to hear what James is telling the church at that time. Because it doesn't, all, it doesn't only uh, apply to them at that time, it applies to us now. There's a lot of things going on that we're going to get into. And so, um, all right, let's get started. So, it's no secret that in the last couple years that Radiance went through a lot of changes. As you can see, we're still with Shelter. Uh, God has uh, allowed us to be here with them. And uh, some people are asking, well, why is Radiant goes, going through so many changes and trials? And so, that's what our text is going to be most on is, is trials. But... Uh, God is working in this, and that's what you've got you to figure out is God is working through trials that the church has been through. Another question is we've had a lot of core families left. They've moved down to the lower 48 to do other things that God has called them to. And so a lot of people are saying, why is that happening? And so there is an uncertainty in all of us of not knowing what the next day holds. And so that is something that we're going to, to kind of tap into today. So as we look at the book of James, we're going to see that the answers are actually are in the struggles as much as they are the victories. And so you got to think about that. The answers are in the struggles just as much as they are in victories. So I want us to give us, I want to give us a little bit of background on where James is coming from. I want to start with who he is who he's writing to, and that is the Jews at that time were referred as the 12 tribes. Uh, after the split of Solomon's reign, 10 in the northern kingdom were called Israel and Benjamin, and then Judah combined to form the southern kingdom called Judah at, at the end. The recipients of this book were Jewish believers who had been dispersed due to Stephen's death in Acts 7, 54 through 60. And more of those were dispersed due to Herod Agrippa's persecution. And then came Saul. Saul kind of finished it up with his persecution, which is later in uh, Acts chapter 8. And so, interesting fact, if you don't know who Saul is, Saul was uh, there at Stephen's stoning. And I kind of give a question to my, my salts the other day of, does anybody know who Saul is now? And a lot of them had to think, but a couple of them knew that it was Paul. And so if we think about the life of who Paul was, it's a, it's a testimony to how Jesus can change our life. All right, so. so now we get into why James wrote this letter. James was the leader uh, in the Jerusalem church, and he wanted to reach out to those who were scattered and encourage them so that they could have hope in what they were going through. Now, you got to realize this was great persecution at that time. They were driven out of their houses. They were driven out of the places that they had grown up or lived. Families were split apart, and they were told that they had to leave. And so James is writing with a passionate desire to give God the glory in what he was doing. And he wrote with authority because he had seen the risen Savior. So now that we have the background, I really want to get into the meat of the word. So let's go to, to James chapter 1, and we're going to read a little bit. But before we do, I want to go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for this opportunity, uh, God, to bring your word. 
God, what we've studied just in the few weeks, God, that you have given us, Lord, has just been remarkable in my own life. And just thanking you, God, that I can stand here and give our church, God, a word from you. Thank you for the writings in your book, God, that give us hope and give us uh, a way of God just coping with day-to-day life. So, Father, I pray, God, to open up our hearts. Give us the strength to make it day-to-day. And we give you the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So I want us to take a few minutes and look at these 27 verses and pull out what I hope James is showing us, how to live a life of action. So that's the main theme of this whole message is action. We are a people of action. So this is broken into two parts. Verses 1 through 18 is understanding trials and temptations and how beneficial they are in our own lives. The second part is calling believers to action, and that is in verses 19 through 26. Then we're going to combine that at the end of the chapter, and we will be applying that to our lives as we seek to be obedient to Christ. So I want to read, and let's look at, let's look at verses 1 through 12 again. Start with uh, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in its scorching heat and weathers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also would the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So let's stop right there. So as we have set who and why James is writing this letter, now let's start examining the scripture and to see what the, heart, what it, the scripture is saying to us. And I think probably verse 2 is probably one of the hardest verses for us as Christians to really get in our minds and accept. And that says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So now we get why James wrote the letter. And so he is writing here, to, what he's writing is count it all joy when God is testing our faith. He's saying that it's not always be joyful or pleasurable. We are in the season of testing. But God is using them to grow us in a way we don't even know. And he is always seeking to draw us closer to him. Our problem is our natural response is to run from God and to draw back to ourselves. We only see our circumstances and not the big picture of how much the Father loves us. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, that now for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved by various trials. Just like the Jews that James is speaking to, we must accept God's refining us through trials. Steadfastness is also something he calls us to do in patience. And our patience here is the understanding that the producing of something in our lives. Also, the testing is proving our faith 
what our faith is and the patience is producing endurance that we can make it through trials. Romans 5.3 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings produce endurance. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't really like to go through trials that much. It's not one of my favorite things of the Christian walk, but I know that they are necessary. I want to read a quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, the plow produces the growth. The plow produces the growth. If the soil is never turned over, the seeds could never be planted. And that is talking about the testing of our faith. That is something for us to realize as we live a life that are going to be full of trials. They will produce growth. It's a picture of a farmer preparing the soil with a plow, turning over that soil to get it ready to plant seeds. And James is saying in that same way, God is preparing our hearts so that he can sow the seeds in our life to help us grow in him. That may mean that our lives may have to be turned over. And that is something that a lot of us do not accept very well. Now, we see in verse 4 the use of perfect as a reference, not to be sinless, but to, be, to call us to spiritual maturity. The testing of our faith drives us much deeper into communion with God. James is going on 5 through 6 and explaining that asking for wisdom should be a regular part of our prayer life. God intends that trials will drive us to a better understanding of how he is growing us. Wisdom is the first part of trying to produce a reliance on him that will help us make wise decisions in Christ. And it also leads us to asking with no doubt. Whether we are praying through a trial or seeking wisdom, we should be confident in God answering according to now listen, according to what gives him the glory and not us. And that is very important of our prayer life. So a question to you guys. Do you go to God with the idea that your prayers match what gives him glory? Or do we focus only on what we want? I would explain to my kids how to pray. Uh, I don't think there's like, you know, a, a set way of doing it, but I was just telling him what the way I do it in my life is I go to prayer seeking God. I want to give him adoration and tell him how wonderful he is and thanking him for everything. And then I want to start praying for various people, various things that need prayer. And I want to put myself on the bottom. And I told them, I said, when you do that, then everything that you think that you're asking God for or you need kind of fades away because you're already asking for everyone else except for yourself. But I always tell them, go first in the adoration of who God is, giving him praise and glory for what he's done. So James is pointing and asking in faith and not for us to doubt God. He calls this being double-mindedness, which is praying but not really expecting anything to happen. This is caused by us being so deep in the world that our prayer life is focused only on ourselves. And he even adds in, in that last little verse, that riches could be a hindrance because we are seeking those things instead of striving on what God wants. James then takes us to verse 12 to remind us of those believers who have come through trials and tribulations and are truly happy and have uncommon joy. And I was thinking, what is uncommon joy? What does that mean? So I go to the book of James, which I'm very familiar with right now. 
And I go to chapter 5. And I go to verse 11. It says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I would challenge everyone in this room to read the book of Job. What a remarkable thing that God did in a man's life through what? Trials. Job had everything poured on him, and none of us could ever imagine what that would be like. And by the way, he did go through things that we will never, ever go through. And so when we're in that trial that we think is the worst thing that we've ever been through, go read Job. That is a trial. That is a trial. But God was merciful to him, and he actually gave him everything that he wanted back plus more because he was faithful. So after teaching James for the last six weeks, like I said, I have a better understanding of trials, and God actually opened my eyes to a better understanding of temptations. So we're, I'm going to read uh, 13 through 18. We'll start the second part. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will be brought by, will be us forth by the word of truth, that he should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So understanding temptations is a part of going through trials. And I will connect those in just a second. So I want to read a quote from John MacArthur. It says, The key to temptation is that believers choose whether to take the escape God provides or to give in. I want to read that again. The key to temptation is that believers choose whether to take the escape God provides or to give in. This is true in all of us understanding why God allows temptations and struggles to still be in our lives. We need to first recognize how temptation works. Sin is not merely a spontaneous act, but is a process that we in our minds go through when we are faced with temptations. We don't understand that the choice is ours and we choose to go to God or we choose not to. Verse 16 in that passage is what I believe to be the most powerful verse in the book of James. Do not be deceived, my brethren. We need to know that God does not tempt us, but it is desire that is in us since the beginning. All of us have that particular desire that no one knows about, that we are good hiding. God knows what that desire is and wants us to choose him instead of running to our temptation. But the problem is, is we are sinful people and are very good at blaming others, including God, for the sin we fall into. And so let's go look at the first 
at the beginning to see what the first struggle with sin that we had. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 6. So I had to be very good at turning to these things with all my teens because they're faster than I am. And so, all right. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So that's the first look at the falling It is from the beginning that we have learned to shift the blame for our sins. And the biggest lie today is, well, God made me this way, or God made you this way. We have to ask ourselves, if God made us in his own image, how can we be sinful? Since the fall, we have been ingrained in us a corrupt sin nature that we have become very good at following to our own desires. The sad part is that our Father has good gifts, perfect gifts for us, and all we need to do is ask. In verses 17 and 18, good and perfect gifts is what Jesus is writing here to remind us all what God offers. He wants to bless us. Remember, he created us in his own image. And so I know in my own life, I have blamed God for not meeting my needs through the blessings that he has given me. I'm, real, I'm realizing more today that it is a deep desire of pleasing my flesh that I have said no so many times to what God was wanting to bless me or has blessed me. But as I look at the scripture, it is clear that anything, God, anything good comes from God and the world has nothing to offer. Now, we start the second part of the chapter, where we see James is cautioning us as, believer, as believers. As I've been going through this book, I've seen that James is describing two types of people that are in the church. These are divided up into two groups. Number one, doers. These are the people whose lives are marked with learning, with learning God's word and that are faithful and obedient to it. Number two are hearers. These are the people that have taken full advantage of the privilege of hearing God's word, but they have no desire in obeying it. They think they belong to God, but they really don't. So I want to read 19 19 through 21. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It says, Therefore put put away all all filthiness, and rampart weakness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls.
when we see James give us a warning to be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, it starts helping us to understand how we need to have self-control of how we deal with everyday life situations. He begins here with helping us to listen instead of speaking. He's warning us that, that, listening, that not listening could produce anger, and this is not of God. The next thing that he calls us to is to be slow to speak, and this is one that I really struggle with. I am very quick to blurt out of my mouth whatever's rolling around here in my head, and I should be worried about what's coming out of my heart. So my daughter is smiling and agree with me. So yes, I am confessing that is one of my struggles is speaking. In today's world, everyone wants to be heard, but we are told to have self-control. Think about what we say. The third part of that is to be slow to anger. This one is the most dangerous that I see as sometimes it really comes out of our heart and a combination of all three could be very, very damaging for our witness. As I was telling our kids uh, just the other day, I said, the worst thing that you could do to anyone, fellow believer, someone that doesn't know Christ, is to let something come out of your mouth that you don't mean. And I told them, I said, there's been so many times in my life that I have destroyed relationships because I didn't think about what I was going to say. And so James is warning us here. And he also says, not only to the believers, but to the unbelievers, because that is your witness of the words that you say. So verse 22 makes Christians, most Christians uncomfortable because it calls us to action. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Like I said in the beginning, James is calling us to change our lives as me, from mere spectators to actually being all in Christ. Today, we have a consumer idea of being a follower of Christ. We can attend church when we want to, serve when we have to, and still have our separate life apart from God. James is calling us and these Jews to be fully committed to Christ. He describes this in verses 23, and 25, 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he, look, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." This sounds a little far-fetched that you could actually look in the mirror and walk off and not remember that. But James is stressing that this is what happens in churches and to a lot of Christians today and then. When we hear the word, we don't act on it, and it's like we never heard it at all. We go continually disregarding the word of God so that we can live our lives for ourselves. But James is saying, we can be blessed in our work with God by remembering that we have freedom through Christ and by living a life completely for him. And James closes the end of the chapter with a call to what his true faith looks like. And so I was at home today getting ready uh, to come here, and I was thinking, what is a good analogy that I can, like, because sometimes we get into biblical analogies and we're like, ah, that really doesn't apply you know, that was way back then, and this is now. So I came up with this, and I hope, hope you can understand it. So let's say tomorrow 
that everybody here goes to work if you have a job that you have to go somewhere. You pull into your parking place and you sit there for eight hours. Then you go home. Tuesday, you pull into your parking place. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You don't really go in and do anything, but you're there. And then on Friday, you walk into your place of where you work and you go to your boss and say, okay, I'm ready to get paid. Where's my blessings? And your boss looks at you and he says this, I know that you were there every day, but you didn't do anything that I asked you to. That is the church of today. There's a lot of people that want to go in and sit Sunday after Sunday, GC after GC, all these things, but they expect what they are not doing. The word calls us to action. James is calling us to action. He's saying, don't be a hearer. Be a doer. I'm not talking about a works-based religion. I come from a place where it was ingrained in us. You got to do all these things so that this hand doesn't outdo this hand, and hopefully when you die, you've got more on this side and that side. That is false. God doesn't need us. He wants us. And if our love for Christ is showing, that's why we work. That's why we serve. That's why we do the things. That's why we're at camp all summer. It's not because we think, well, if we get these kids saved, then it'll outweigh our bad that we've done in life. No, we want to see God glorified. We want to see the name of Jesus go through Fairbanks and North Pole and through Alaska. I would love to see Alaska just explode with the gospel and it just start running down the globe. And I think that that can happen if we stop being hearers and start being doers of what Christ has asked us to do. And it is very plain what he has asked us to do. We should not be giving our faith lip service and wanting people to see or to think or, or see us as something that we are not. This is a religion that is worthless. Our hearts ought to be loving and serving others like Jesus did. So I want to close there for the moment, and I want to ask the worship team to come up. But I'm still not done. And I've already warned them about this, but if you guys want to come up. So this is first time I ever preached here. I called, this is when Lauren was here. I called him like that morning. I said, God has already changed the whole ending of, of the sermon. He's like, go with it. So I'm going with it. And this is what God has put on my heart. I want to ask you a question. Are you satisfied with being only a hearer of God's word? Let me ask you that again. Are you satisfied with only being a hearer of God's word? Or do you want to have a faith that shows action? James used the illustration in verses 24 and 25 of someone looking in a mirror and then forgetting what he looked at. This should be challenging for us today to look at where we stand with God. The next question would be, do we even know him? If we did, our lives would truly, truly magnify who God is.
If we can truly say yes, then our lives would be showing our service to God in an act of worshiping our king. A king who gave his all to pay our all. You get that? He paid his all with his life to get rid of all of our sin. And that is something that I'm trying to get these, these, these kids to realize that he gave it all. He doesn't want our 70, 30, 80, 20, 90, 10. He wants us all. And you know what? As I tell them, he deserves us. He deserves it all. Have you made the commitment to Jesus that his, that his word is what you're going to live your life by? And all other things in this world don't matter. And ask yourself this, and I'm going to close in prayer. Is my life of action, is my life of action or full of distraction? Is my life of action for Christ or is it full of the distraction of what the world has? Jesus deserves all of us because he gave all for us. Let that sink in. He gave, he left heaven for us. How could we not serve our King and Savior? And that's what James is saying in this first chapter. I hope in my life I get to, I want to preach the next bit of James. I want to preach the whole book of James because I think he is calling us to living a life of action for Jesus Christ. One day, it's all going to end. And all the distractions are not going to matter. It's the actions for Christ. It's the actions of the king who came down to love a broken people. Who, by the way, turned their back on him. But he said, I still love you. He looks down on us with all the things that we have in our life. He still loves us. So why don't we serve him? Father God, we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you for going to the cross and dying a painful, horrible death for sinners like us. And God, we call upon you today. God, open our hearts to you. And Father, as we take communion, we pray, God, that we will have a time, God, that we can confess that we can look at our lives. God, that we would come to you in truth of who we are, God. We are in need of you so much. Father, you don't need us. You don't need us. You want us. You want that relationship back with us. And Father God, I pray for everyone that's in this room. I pray for myself. God, that when I let the distractions of this earth, distractions of this, this world get between us, God, I pray, God, forgiveness, have mercy on us. Help us, Lord, to realize that what we hear, God, is your word prompting our hearts to do. Because there is a dying world that needs to know who you are. 
Have mercy upon us, God. Have mercy upon us. We pray this. Amen.